Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. So, what would you advocate we do? We lock down hard, we lock down aggressively, we open up quick, and we accept the deaths that come. There is no way to get through this other than the fact that the majority of us catch it. And that's what people can't understand. Over the past few months, we've heard a lot of politicians and medical experts tell us how important it is that we we, we, we shut down the, the world economy and cancel these surgical treatments and self-isolate and follow all the other measures in order to keep down the R-rate. But why? Of course, the obvious answer to that is to save lives, but saving lives at what cost? In the film Saving Private Ryan, an entire unit of soldiers is sacrificed to save one man. And at the end of the film, you whoop and you cheer that Private Ryan's alive and well, but you can forget the cost. So here I am, I'm looking at all the, the recent statistics and uh, trying to be as objective as I can, thinking, why? Why don't we support the vulnerable, uh, subsidise vitamin D supplements, wash our hands, wear masks, warn people of the risks, but let people carry on living their lives knowing what's at stake? I have this friend called Tom and he's a he's a surgeon. Unlike me, he doesn't just have two GCSEs to rub together, so he's far smarter than I am. But we, we happen to align on how we feel about the handling of coronavirus. Um, recently, he's been uploading a few corona memes to his private Instagram account, sort of debunking the reaction to the coronavirus and uploading some statistics. So I asked him if he wouldn't mind talking to me a bit about, um, well, a bit about it all from a medically trained skeptics point of view so let's give my gp friend tom a call and find out what he thinks about all of this hey, hey how you doing my man is this the rent rent a skeptic <clears throat> yeah rent a skeptic yeah now you are a doctor where did you train Can you tell me some bit about your medical history so i did my undergraduate degree in sheffield and i then went off to um london to do my surgical training and then completed my urological training. So I'm a urological surgeon. I did that in South Yorkshire. And now I'm based up in Scotland, in Edinburgh. I've seen you've been fairly outspoken about COVID-19. Well, not so much COVID-19, but the handling of COVID-19 and how we've dealt with it uh, globally. The first few weeks, I was obviously nervous like everybody else. I've got three kids. Uh, you know, I work in a hospital. You know, m- most of my work is bladder cancer stuff. So my work was never really going to stop. So the exposure was always going to be there. But very quickly, you know, and I'm I'm a urologist, I'm just a plumber. So with the help of quite clever colleagues that I have, I've got a professor of emergency medicine, some respiratory consultant colleagues. We realized pretty quickly that this this wasn't the apocalypse. It might have been. Uh, the, the initial reaction to this virus was potent, could have potentially been right. But very quickly, you know, the virulence of it was nowhere in the re, in, in the region of sort of significant global ending mm. pathogens 
And what that basically meant is, so, you know, put very simply, we learned that the concept of this being a, oh, it can affect everybody was incorrect because very quickly we realized it only affects the elderly and the vulnerable. So it was selective. Uh, the survival rates for it were very, very high. Based on that, that's why my view shifted within a few weeks of understanding the basic pathway of it. Only a few weeks before you realized. Yeah, because again, you know, you, you can sort of see very quickly with these things. And let's not, you know, I'm, I don't want to get into statistics and things like that, but all of the things that set, that set the world alight with lockdowns and things like that were based on very, very inaccurate modeling mm-hmm. of where this thing could go. So yeah, it didn't take long for me to realize that, you know, the juice didn't uh, validate the squeeze, if you like. It didn't take long to realize that actually we were overreacting. Your outlook on this has been shared within your industry, you would say. So your colleagues oh, are the same. Oh, 100%. 100%. You know, the first thing is it's very dangerous ground. And the first, the sort of first caveat to say is, of course, and this isn't just protecting myself, of course I adhered, you know, to whatever was said. Um, but that doesn't mean that I didn't question it. Yes, in our profession, when you're sort of cutting cancer work down by 80%, and we're actively seeing patients that could have been saved now being curable, it was very, very easy to think, well, hold on, this is the risk that I'm seeing to my patient population versus the actual risk of dying from this virus. Uh, you know, the difference was staggering. You know, so that, that sort of is shared within the community. ITUs weren't full. Nobody's commenting on the fact that Nightingale hospitals were probably 0.5% full. A response was required to this, but not the level that we did it. You know, and, and nobody, it just it feels to me, Steph, that everybody has just stopped questioning the actual actions that we're taking, the actions that the government are taking. This is what I'm finding with questioning it like i'm always a bit of a contrarian i will question anything um but i'm finding there's a backlash to even questioning it like i got quite a few uh spicy messages when i asked on instagram to um, for questions for yourself some people were saying you know they were saying how could you give a platform to somebody to some trump voting uh uh, mask refusing um you know idiot and people were getting really upset that i would even have the audacity to question the narrative when i feel like you obviously have to it's it's important thing to do is to question what what we're doing and, and the response to it now i'm wondering why you think there hasn't been more people outspoken on this response why is it why do you think it's become so politicized it's a good question so this is my sort of this is my unofficial sort of human being take on things at the moment. I think we've all lived through quite a crazy five to 10 years, really. I've got a history teacher friend that sort of thinks that, you know, when he looks back on what, what we've lived through, you know, it will give history teachers, you know, sort of huge amounts of um, material to be teaching the future generation. So if you date it back from things like the Arab Spring, you know, all Trump, mm. Brexit, all of these things that are happening, global warming, the realization, the uprising of the young, I do feel that we have to have this vibe of we're expecting the world to end. And then the virus comes along that might have been, you know, I'm not saying it isn't significant, but might have been a sort of very, very, very potent virus. And then we almost just put our hands up in the air and said, this is it, we're all doomed. I see. So I see, I thought, yeah. I thought part of me thinks that there was this sort of like, you know, fatalistic view on this because we've gone from a nation where you can't put road markings in without having a million debates, counter debates, 
to counter legislation in Parliament, all this type of stuff, mm-hmm. to basically being told that we can't see our family and we just go, well, that's fair, let's do it. Let's not look at the evidence. Let's just agree with it. So yeah. I, I don't know why it's happened, really. You think it could be a, a, it, uh, what they call it, the slobalisation, the, the grinding halt of, uh, the slow grinding halt of globalisation? Possibly. I mean, you worded that better than I did, but uh, yeah, possibly. It could tie into that. I see what you're saying. That's an interesting take on it. Yeah, I never thought about it like that before. So there's been over a million deaths now of COVID-19. Do you see more people dying as a result not so much of COVID-19, but the cancelled medical treatments and the uh, mental health implications, would we see more deaths from um, other things not related to COVID, do you think, if we relaxed a bit more? So the answer, the answer, I mean, the answer to that is, you know, here comes, a, here comes a boring medical answer. The answer is we can only look at that in two years' time when ONS produces the statistics. Um, my take on it is I'm more concerned, and this is awful, right? So before I say this next statement... I must say, anybody that has lost somebody, all of that, it goes without saying that any death is a tragedy. Mm-hmm. But are there going to be more significant deaths? So every year in the UK, every month, sorry, in the UK, we lose 50,000 people. This is rough statistics. I don't want this to, you know, I'm not a statistic man. We lose 50,000 people. And thank the Lord, or whoever you believe in, the majority of those people, they come from... They come from the people that probably had a lower life expectancy, you know, two or three year life expectancy. They come from people that were in the care homes, people with comorbidities. Now, COVID has basically selected that portion of people and been the cause of their death. Not all, of course, but the majority. Those people were going to die of pneumonia. They were going to die of diabetic complications and things like that. So that concept... I personally think that, yes, the death rate will be up because of COVID. But, of course, these people don't exist twice. Mm -hmm. COVID has just taken from that portion of 50,000 a month. It is just that is the cause of the majority of those deaths. My prediction is that when we get next year's ONS, it won't be much over. It will be over, but it won't be much over that 50,000 because they're the same people, if that makes any sense. I see. Yep, yep. I got what you're saying. So in answer to your question, if pneumonia kills on average 600, 700,000 people globally a year, then there are going to be less people that died of pneumonia next year, this year, because they died of COVID. Then when you throw into the fact that people have missed cancer treatments, people have not attended emergency departments, I think it might be quite close. So answering that question, it might not be a million miles off that deaths from other causes are close. You know, we're accepting blindly that have no evidence at all. For example, plastic screens in supermarkets, handing your food over with your hands to someone else with their hands and then taking it back. I mean, what is the point of the plastic screen? Mm, Going to your track and trace restaurant and all signing in with the same pen. I mean, this is intelligent people. The the, the nation is intelligent. They're just accepting things that don't make any sense because the government have said it. That bit I can't understand. So what would you advocate we do? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Oh, we just need to open up. <clears throat> 100% and that's an opinion uh, that's what's happening in Sweden yeah. we just need to open up again without getting nerdy on it the two models that we have about lockdown the evidence isn't huge but the two models we have there is evidence to support lockdown we lock down hard we lock down aggressively we open up quick and we accept the deaths that come mm-hmm. what we do by doing that is we prevent any unnecessary death sorry any unforeseen death in the young because we haven't got access to ventilators and things like that. Now, we've already done that hard work. Unfortunately, we all, there is no way to get through this than, other than the fact that the majority of us catch it. And that's what people can't understand. So herd immunity? Herd immunity, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the basic principle, isn't it? So Sweden are not spiking. But, you know, Sweden have been really honest. And, uh, you know, their government have said we've made mistakes. The way they handled the care homes was, was poor. But the people were behind them. That was the plan that they went, and it's borne out. And you know what? People are respecting. Uh, people respect honest leadership there, mm-hmm. even if they get it wrong. And that's the model that should have been copied, not this bickering, constant discussion over rule of six, all this type of stuff that we do here. So it's not the government's fault that a virus has come along, but yet we're blaming them for everything. Now, what are you seeing as a byproduct from this on the front line that isn't COVID? Like, what, what's the repercussions of, of all of these measures that you're seeing happen around? So this is, so this is the horrific thing now. Um, and this is why I'm passionate about it. And I understand the hammer sees a nail and I'm essentially a hammer with what I do work-wise. Uh, I am seeing people that I could have helped that I can no longer help directly because their treatments have been delayed six months. Uh, you know, the full effect of this, put very simply, I do 25% of the operations that I would normally do, and I've done that for the last six months. I'm one urologist or one doctor. Multiply that by all the doctors, and you're going to get a very big figure of people that basically, if it wasn't for what I believe to be an unnecessary approach, could have been saved, if you like. And that's the thing. See, the knock-on effect of this is going to be years and years, which to me is you know, it will be the single most, not funding or anything like that, it will be the single, single biggest blow to the NHS long term, I think, that's ever, that's ever hit it. And the thing is, you know, did the virus justify that response? And in my opinion, it didn't. And you know what? What's going to happen in our country is that all those people that complained about lack of services or the way the response to COVID or not locking down will then start complaining about the fact that they can't, their grandmother or their father can't get their Mm-hmm. kidney surgery or they can't get all of this type of stuff so and because that's the nation we are we complain about one thing we move on to the next one and we move on to the next one so i could see it coming so but it'll be pretty grim you've obviously been outspoken about this why aren't more of your colleagues outspoken about it why do we because, seldomly hear about anything from this from the medical industry because it's because it's um you know it's you could lose your job simple as that you could lose yeah. your job over it wow yeah and also and also don't get me wrong a lot of people and i understand this, a lot of people are afraid mm because they're being told to be afraid. But I think that is definitely abating when we see more people recovering, 
the statistics about actual death rates of those people that contract it. I mean, the recent stats about, you know, even the 70s, 80s with comorbidities, 95% of people will survive this. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't say that about diabetes. Mm-hmm. You can't say that about a heart attack. Well, so is, I think yeah. fear will go down. Do you think there's an element of the government overreaching with this, overreacting, and then being almost a little bit too embarrassed to say, we kind of over... We, uh, we kind of overestimated the severity of this. We went a bit too far. Yeah, apologies for that. Now let's get everything back to normal. Yeah, I mean, the only person that's actually trying to do that is old Boris, isn't it? He, he, yeah. To be fair to him, he, he realises, you know, if you look at his, his um, sort of rhetoric at the moment, he, he realises that if we, if we lock down again, if we shut the schools again, this country, and I'm not talking about a recession where rich people haven't got you know, as much stocks and shares. I'm talking about where people can't eat. If we lock down again, you know, that's, we're doomed and he knows that mm. so yeah. he you know he's saying yeah fine i'll adhere to the, you know i'll say about all these rules but you know we're not shutting the schools you know there's a few controversial things i could say i mean there's a lot of people that don't want to go back to work i, it, I have a few of my know, friends who don't i have a few of my friends i play poker with and they say i just don't want to go back in i couldn't think of anything worse than going back in now yeah. so, you know i've heard a few people exactly say that. and you know you know 80 percent of your salary for actively not being allowed to work i mean mm. not a bad deal is it yeah um yeah. Yeah, I get what so, you're saying. So yeah, I think I think here's the thing though. I think the answer to that is very much what we all do in life. So it's called in in my line of work it's called defensive medicine, but every practice has it. Every practice. And that's what the government's doing. So if you look at a simple decision, right? If the government says if we don't lock down and more people die, we will be criticized more than if we lock down. Uh, yeah. So they yeah. take the decision. They take the yeah. decision that's going to keep them in government. I'm not criticizing that. We do that every day. We say, you know, someone comes up to me and says, oh, when can I fly after an operation? I go, I'll leave it six weeks. Now, is there any evidence for that? Not a lot. Mm. So, you know, why am I saying that? Because it covers my ass. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there is an element of that. We're to blame, though, aren't we? Because if you think about it, we just nitpick. I've lost a little bit of faith in us, you know, and I've sort of tried to adapt my views on life. You know, when, when, a, when a glass smashes in the household, you know, I want to find out which one of my kids has done it and give them what for. Yeah. I should really be focusing on clearing up the glass before another accident happens. That's the sort of default we've got, isn't it? Because we, we sort of now, we're just, you know, as soon as something's not quite right, we criticize. And then when they get that right, we criticize over the next thing. So have we, has the meat, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not as worldly in that sort of side of things, but has the media, has our view, have we created this situation where the government think, or the powers that be think, whatever they do is going to be wrong. So they're just constantly having to make probably non-brave decisions, safe decisions. I don't know. I was sort of hoping there would be a a silver lining to all of this, and that would be it would level everyone's expectations and sort of ground us all a little bit, because uh, there was an element of exactly that, what you're saying. People are so quick to point a finger at somebody to a lot of degrees, like moral grandstand over situations that they don't agree with, um, which I find a bit frustrating. And and at first, when this happened, I I thought, oh, maybe this will unite us all. Maybe we'll stop being such dickheads and unite. Well, I mean, that was the hope, wasn't it? I mean, and I have made... I have to be honest, I have made uh, new friends, um, you know, in support, you know, have become more aware of impacts that this can have, you know, Mm -hmm. unexplained, you know, I'm not a particularly sort of, you know, I'm not a particularly worldly man when it comes to mental health issues, although I'm, you know, I come from a family of mental health nurses, so I'm very open, you know, I'm not judgmental on it, but actually, you know, there were times during this where my wife and I were like, God, I just, you know, I don't know why I feel so flat. Mm-hmm. My life is great. You know, our lives are very good. We're, we're one of the fortunate ones in life. We have 
you know, good job, nice family life, food on the table, that type of thing. But we would just feel totally flat. And I think in that, I've made friends that are better at realizing that. You know, they're better at, and they verbalized it to me, and that's helped me. So there have been positive things. I've lost a stone. That's a positive thing. <laughs> okay. You know, so, um, but yeah, I think there were, but I think in re- reality, you know, the amount of times, you know, we've been shouted at. You know, I've seen some horrible things, Steph, that really don't make me feel particularly good. I saw a kid go over her handlebars on a bike and nobody stopped to pick her up in the height of the um, physiotherapist friend of mine who was, there's a a chap he saw on the side of the road, there was a big congregation that looked like it had a heart attack, he'd actually fallen off his bike. And uh, as he was going up, the only one with a bit of CPR training, he was going up to assess him, someone started handing him alcohol gel and a a mask. And I thought, he said, do do you mind if I, do you mind if I check the patient's alive first? (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) but yeah, so yeah, I would, I had your hope too. Um, and I think there is positivities. You've got to be positive, but there's also a lot of negativities, isn't it? And it's a, a way for people to shout at people or, yeah. you know. Vent a lot of frustrations. Yeah. And, and, and again, create the other. The, the, what we've got a danger of is, is people dividing over this, you know, and this dividing yeah, is the same way. We're so used to being divided over Brexit. Now that's over and done with. I think people are still <laughs> yeah, on the same yeah. page and they think, oh, well, I want yeah, something yeah. else to be divided over. Community, certainly in Scotland where I am, you know, community sort of saying no one from outside welcome and all that that's you know this is not a good sign is it really is covid going to be around forever is this something we're going to always have with us is it going to be like the flu there's something just comes just we just have to learn to live with and adapt to or will we find a miracle cure and 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 vaccinate everyone and it's gone well the first thing is i would say there is no way on god's earth that i will be giving a vaccine to my children that's been rushed through Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's that's Mm -hmm. my first message so the concept Mm -hmm. of the vaccine being the be all and end all we only learn we only learn that a drug is bad for you once it's been tested for a number of years so you know when you think about things like this tablet makes you deaf or this one gives you erectile dysfunction we don't learn it's the people that take that in the first round that that tell us that so the concept of having a you know having a vaccine in the next five years that I'd be willing to subject my family to, I'd rather they get the bug and fight the bug. That's the first thing. The next thing is I think people don't want to change. I think people, you know, I think people want to sort of deglobalize a little bit or whatever that fancy way you sort of put it. I think people want to be left alone. I think it will change views on it. I think, you know, we'll walk away from people when we're in the street. I think community will go a bit because of it. Um, There'll be positive things like we'll have better hygiene we'll wash our hands more. You know, we might go like, you know, China and countries like Japan, you know, where they wear masks regularly. So the long-winded answer to your question, or the short version of my long-winded answer is, um, uh, I don't think, I think the virus is going to become insignificant, but I think its impact isn't probably. And and insignificant as in we slowly realise it's not... We'll all have it. We'll all all, all eventually have it. Okay. Right. Thank you so much for that, Tom. I really appreciate that. Um, that was really informative. No problem at all. No problem at all. (laughs) uh, I I don't vote for Trump. I vote for Lord Buckethead usually. (laughs) Okay. That's good to know, mate. All right, man. Thank you so much, Tom. That was fun. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Cheers, mate. Bye. So that interview with my friend Tom happened a few days ago now, and I hope you found it interesting. Um, I, I really did. And I've had some time to reflect over everything he said for the past few days. As I'm filming this, there's been over 35 million cases of COVID globally, uh, and they're just the people that have been tested. So I can imagine that figure is far, far higher. And my personal opinion on it now is that 
well, this disease isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And, and like Tom said, taking a vaccine without several years of testing probably isn't the best idea. Uh, so we could keep locking down, uh, and, and that's been shown to reduce the infection curve, but that leaves a tough dilemma of what comes next. So I think what we need to do is face the music, that this is something that's here to stay. I don't think we need to dance a jaunty old jig to the music, but I think we need to acknowledge the fact that this is here to stay and we need to adapt to it. So obviously wear masks and and keep washing our hands and, and take all the measures that we need to take in order to try and, well, be sensible. But at the same time, what we need to do is open up our economy and get things back to the way way they were as soon as possible. Anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts on all of this, uh, from the conversation I had with Tom on on your interpretation of of how we're dealing with it. Um, All of the links uh, for where you can do that are in the show notes. Um, Thank you for watching um, and I'll see you all next time. Take care. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.